Good morning. Today I'll be reading Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or or about your body. What you will wear is not life more than food and body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yes, I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, while he not much, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them but seek first king the kingdom of god and righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own thank you eduardo man you guys sound great today very good Lots of good things coming up. I really appreciate everyone who helped yesterday with the uh, Harvest Festival. Goodness, that took a whole lot of people doing a whole lot of things. And uh, we had, uh, we counted a little bit, just over 400 through the gate. There's some people came in other ways, so it was a bunch of folks. And uh, it was a good time just to be able to have some fun with them and just be able to take care of kids and all of that. There are a couple of things. I don't know if you realize this or not, but we tend not to ask for money other than every week. Does that sound weird? We will always pass the collection because there was a collection taken in the first century. But we try not to ask for money for special projects every single week. So... When it comes time to ask for money for special projects, there are two that we do once a year. Okay? So that's it. One time a year, and we try and fund enough for the whole year in one Sunday. Mission Sundays next week. So, we will try to fund enough for missions for the whole year. 100,000 might seem like a lot. That's because we want to do a lot. And so that's really the purpose for it. We could spread it out. You could give 10,000 a month, you know, (laughs) things like that. But we try not to do that. So just so that you'll know, we won't ask more. But this will be it. The other one is LTC, that we work with our kids. And we used to have every single week, okay, we need more, we need this, we need... And we've decided to try to put all of that into one Saturday. And one Saturday, we will try to sell the junk that you give us... (laughs) 
And so they're not even asking for money. They're just asking for the junk that you have in your garage that you want to get rid of anyway, but can't get anyone else to take. So we do have a storage problem. Please don't bring it before next Wednesday night because we have to get through all of our classes in order to have enough room because there is always so much brought in. And so that's one of the times when we're going to ask for you to bring stuff. And if your stuff happens to be in a green form of paper folded things, that's great too because it all goes to LTC just being able to say we want to take care of our kids and uh, provide a place for them. And so that's a couple of the things that we've got coming up this week. And so those are going to be important times. I want to talk a little bit about anxiety today. We, re- we recognize that Christianity is a process. And when you first begin is with anything, we're really not that good at it. We know just enough to make us miserable is usually the way it goes. Because we can't do all the other stuff we wanted to do. And now we've got to try and be good. And so how are we ever going to accomplish this? And so trying to be good is always difficult for some of us. Uh, not sure why, but when you start talking about anxiety and peace, all of us would like to have a peaceful life. And I think that's one of the things that we wish we had. But what about anxiety? That seems to come in. I think some anxiety is normal. It was given to us. It's there for a purpose. There's a reason for it. And the reason for it is to keep you out of trouble. So that if there's a danger, yeah, be anxious about it. Enough to get up and move out of the way. I think sometimes some of us need to be a little bit more anxious about some things because we're not near enough excited in order to get ourselves out of our own way. And so there are some times when we do need to be anxious about things. Don't be anxious about money, but, well, what does that mean? That means... Live on what you got. Don't be anxious for family, but be anxious enough to take care of them. Be anxious enough to do a good job with that. Be anxious about danger. Be anxious. I mean, failure is going to be one of those things that we always have. We are anxious about things that go wrong or things that don't work. Our first days, first day of school or first day of work or first day of it doesn't matter what it is it's just kind of an unknown so there's a little bit more that goes along with that we can be anxious about being alone sometimes because we don't know quite how to handle that we can overcome some of that by experience the more you've done it the easier it is one of the biggest anxieties they tell me is speaking in front of a group of people yes It is. It only took me 20 years to get over that. And at the end of 20 years, I could finally say, you know what? I'm not near as nervous getting up. But it did take that long. And so if you do something long enough, sometimes it gets easier and the anxiety goes away. When you look at the passage that has been read to us this morning in Matthew 6... The context of this passage is very, very important. The context of the passage is you can't serve two masters. You're going to hate the one and love the other. 
despise the one, respect the other. You can't love God and money. Both of those are going to be different. You can't love God and self and be all about yourself. And so the, the point of it is to know who you serve and that you're going to serve God and to make that choice to know who you serve is going to be God. And because you have chosen that, therefore, and that's the first word of this passage, and that's what the therefore is there for, is therefore, since you have made this choice that you're going to serve God and not have this dilemma of, well, I don't know where I'm going to go. Therefore, I'm going to tell you, don't be anxious about your life. People who have not made that choice might need to be anxious about their life a little bit. Because they haven't made that choice, they don't have anybody to turn it over to, and it is all up to them. And if your life is completely about you, and you're the only one taking care of it, and no one else is watching out for you or doing anything then that's naturally going to be a time when you're a little bit anxious about things. But if you have made the choice that I'm going to serve God and serve Him only, then a lot of it goes away because of what Jesus tends to say here. And I don't think He's pronouncing a judgment on all anxiety. At least that's not the way it reads. He says, don't be anxious about your life. But if a bear is charging you, be anxious enough to do something. Run, climb a tree, uh, push somebody else in front of you. Something that will help you get out of that situation. He, he does this by asking a bunch of questions. Isn't life more than food? More than what's for lunch today? More than, isn't the body more than just what you put on it? And so those are not what it's all about. Aren't you more valuable than birds? Yeah, we are. Can you add an hour to your life? I've been trying. It's not working. Won't God take care of you? Yeah, if we've chosen Him. And he says, consider lilies. Look at what they do. They don't work and yet God arrays them and they are absolutely beautiful. More beautiful than Solomon ever could have looked in all the stuff he could put on and he could afford a lot. Doesn't matter if you have a solid gold suit. Somehow God makes lilies and they're delicate and they're beautiful and the colors are so vibrant. And Jesus, looking at him, goes, don't you get it? It's simple. God takes care of all of this. And look at birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather or store. Of course, the thing to realize is once you pick the lilies, they don't last very long. I'm not sure what the lifespan on a bird is either, but realize there are limitations that all of us have. And he's not trying to get you to go beyond those limitations. And so if that's your anxiety... Maybe you need to look at what God's plan is for after this life. I don't think he says don't be anxious about everything. He says don't be anxious about your life, what you put on, what you drink, what you wear, what you're going to eat. Those things. Because if you become anxious about survival and just anxious about all of those things, I think we've lost something. 
then we really are nervous about everything in our life. But if there's a hurricane, get out of the way. If there's a car wreck or a forest fire, yeah, have enough anxiety to move at least. And then he comes down, he says, the Gentiles worry about all this stuff. What does he mean by that? Gentiles, who are Gentiles in the first place? Well, Gentiles are everybody who's not Jewish. Okay, so that would be us, right? For the most part, we're all not Jewish. We would be Gentile. He says, they worry about all this stuff. Why would he single those out and say they worry about that? Well, because those are the people who had no covenant with God. They had no promises. They had nothing from God. And so they needed to worry about it because they didn't have any concept of God or any way to get to God or any law or anything that that made them okay with God. He says, a lot of people who don't have God worry about what am I going to eat? Where am I going to live? What am I going to wear? And those things become most important to them. He says, don't worry about that as long as you have God because He is the one who's going to take care of those. If anxiety takes away peace, then it's too much anxiety. You may be anxious about a few things, but if it takes away peace, then that's too much. I think the main problem we have is control. We need to be in control. Some people more than others. Some people are more anxious than others. They have to be in control and have to know where everything comes from and where it goes to. And for those people, they, you know, when they were children, they invented a very good invention. Some adults need this installed in their car on the passenger side, along with a pedal on the floor. Stomp on it as much as you want if you think it'll do any good. The point is, we don't really have control of much. I mean, when you think about it, but it might be nice to think that we have some kind of control, and so that's what happens to us. Uh, you know, sure, turn the wheel, see what it does. Just keep turning. It'll, it'll make a difference sometime, right? Or sometimes we're anxious when we fly. I don't know if you've sat next to this person or not. Sarah's the one who has to try and calm them down when she's the flight attendant and trying to keep them calm. And uh, you're being anxious about it. Please don't drag your feet because you can't reach the ground anyway. Uh, There's not anything you're able to do, but we have this sometimes and sometimes more. Some people have it more than others. So what do we do with this? Actually, you realize you don't have much control of anything. We can't control the weather. We can't control the stock market. We can't even control our own golf swing. And you certainly can't control your children, your wife. So what do we do if we don't have control of all of this? How are we going to get it all to work? Well, I have a secret. The secret is... They will follow you if you are going the right direction. Pretty simple, huh? When you do that, they will come willingly. Because it's the right thing to do. 
And you're just the one in front. You're the one modeling it. You're the one saying, you know what? This looks like the right thing to do. And so let's do this. And they're going, okay. Because they aren't usually arguing about, no, I want to do something that's going to be destructive to myself. Okay, some of them do. But no, they're going to want to do what's right. And they will follow you if you make the right decision and go the right direction. And Jesus kind of defines that for us here. What would be then the right decision and the right direction? And so he says, I want you to put first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. General things. Not a specific, but a general things. Put first God's kingdom because that's what's most important. It's one of those things where Jesus is king. It's that simple. He's king, and I take him to be my king, and I want to be part of his kingdom, and so I will accept whatever the king says. And I'm going to do whatever the king says. Pretty easy. And he has some things that he has in Scripture that he has said. One of them is don't be anxious because I'm going to take care of some of that. And when you start looking at that, well, that makes it a whole lot easier. His kingdom has already started. It's already, but it's not yet what it's going to be. And so it's going to be so much better. And so it's just a matter of realizing he's king and then doing the things that your king wants you to do. The other thing is seek God's righteousness. Now we'll get to that in a minute. The Beatitudes talk about hunger and thirst after righteousness and you'll be filled, satisfied. And so seek after righteousness, seek after what that is, not righteousness like a Pharisee where it really isn't in their heart and they're just trusting some kind of tradition or some kind of birthright, but that it's really what's in your heart. I'm trying to follow God and God is the one who makes us righteous, that Jesus has died on a cross for our sins and he's taken all those things away. And if we pursue what makes us righteous, then he continues to bless because that's what he said things these things will be added to you and it isn't that it hasn't happened before we realize we see this a number of times when you look back at Solomon and the choice given to Solomon and the question was well what was the I'll give you one wish and he says I just need to govern this people And God says, you know what? Because you asked for that, I'm going to give you riches. I'm going to give you wealth. I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you influence. I'm going to give you all the things that you didn't ask for. Because that's what God does. And when that's the one thing that he wanted, then God does supply all of those. In Matthew and Mark chapter 10, 29, when he talks about, you know, we've left houses and fathers and mothers. And and he says, you know what, if you've left houses and fathers and mothers and everything for my sake, I'm going to give you back a hundred times as much. And so those promises are there. Those promises are real. And when he says he's going to do that, please understand what he's meaning by this. That, you know, it's not going to be that you just sit down and don't be anxious because I'm not even going to get out of my own way. No. That there's some times when you're going to do the things that are right, the things that are necessary, and put first God's kingdom, put first his 
righteousness in your life. And the rest of it seems to level out because you realize there is someone in control and it doesn't have to be you. When we look at the life of Paul, he seems to do one of the best jobs of this. And so I just wanted to share this scripture with you about the way that he looks at this. As Paul writes Philippians, he is able to talk about rejoicing even though he's not in a place of rejoicing. But he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say to you, rejoice and let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And so he says a whole lot in a very short passage. So just taking these one by one, looking at what he says to be able to cure anxiety as he writes from prison. So it's not like he's outside of a anxious circumstance. He's in a ancient prison and it's not the best type of prison to be in. So it's not exactly minimum security. He's, yeah. But he says, here's my key for the whole thing. Number one, rejoice in the Lord. I, I'm never going to let anxiety take away my rejoicing. That I am able to rejoice in the Lord because He is the one who's always there. He says, don't be anxious, but also let your, and mine says, reasonableness be known. Forbearance is another one. Let your, in the words really, your putting up with itness which isn't really a word. But the fact that you're willing to go through and get along to be able to make all of this happen, because, you know what, if you fight every little thing, you're never going to be able to rejoice. You're just going to be able to complain, because that's all that happens. And so let your reasonableness be known. Let your forbearance, let your putting up with, don't be anxious about it. But rejoice, because there's always a reason to rejoice. There are good and bad things. Second thing he says is, I want you to be able to pray. Talk to God about it. Talk, pray with thanksgiving, not pray with grumbling. God, I want you to fix this. I want you to do that. But pray with thanksgiving. I'm thankful for some things that you have done for me, God, and I'm thankful that you're always there and I'm thankful that you're with me on this. And so talk to God about this as he takes control and he is the one who really can take control. So rejoice, pray, control what you think. If you watch scary movies and there's a whole bunch of them around right now, you're going to have nightmares. And you get up and say, oh, that was horrible. I had a nightmare. You caused it. You must have wanted it. 
because you watched the scary movie right before bed and ate three pizzas. I mean, that's going to be a recipe for having nightmares. It's just going to go that way. Realize that where you put your mind is going to determine where you are. And so make sure that you are a person who is able to control where you think. Whatever is true, honest, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Put your mind there. And if you let the other stuff sneak in, don't be surprised at your anxiety. Because it will present more problems than anything else. You realize that's the whole premise of having any kind of show. They've got to create a tension. And it doesn't matter what kind of show it is. They've got to create a tension. You know, there's a cooking show. And we're about to add the eggs. Watch the eggs as the eggs are going to... Well, it's boring if you... Yeah, put the eggs in. It's just not the same. And so all of those are designed to create kind of a tension for it. You can watch a cooking show. That's fine. But what I'm saying is be careful about where you put your mind about what you allow in there. If you're going to focus on mistakes, you better be a teacher or a proofreader. Those are okay. But uh, they can do some things that, that doesn't work. And the other one, practice. Put what you've learned into practice. Now, if you haven't learned anything yet, you might want to start there. But just learning it doesn't matter. You've got to put it into practice. So put the things that you have received and heard and learned and seen in Jesus. And that's what Paul's saying. Look at the things that I learned from Jesus. I put them into practice. Look at the things Paul does and put those things into practice. Because the more familiar you are with the situation and with the circumstance, the easier it will be to do. You can stand up and preach this sermon if you have experience. Otherwise, it might be a little bit nervous. For some of you, you don't even have nerves. And that's great. For the rest of you, more practice. Because it's that experience that makes us able to not have anxiety. We can handle it. We've done it before. We've done it a lot of times before. And so we're able to have that peace about us. And then he says, and the peace of God will be with you. It's a promise. He's not promising an outcome. He's promising a presence. The peace of God will be with you if you do those four things. It will be with you. And then Paul goes on from there to give his own example. He says, here I am, sitting in prison. As he writes to Philippi. And he says, I realize that you don't understand my situation and you haven't been able to help. So Philippians 4.10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You indeed were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound, that in any and every circumstance I have learned the secret Facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. 
We want to take that last phrase out and sometimes and say, yes, I can do all things. That isn't what he was saying. He's saying you can handle your finances. You can handle the amount of money that you don't have. As well as the amount that you do have. And it happens by the strength of Christ. So... He says, I rejoice. That's what we learned before. He says, you couldn't do it. He makes excuses for them. You couldn't do it before. You couldn't send me any money before. He says, not that I'm speaking from need. Well, he probably is in need. He's sitting in a Philippian prison, and so he probably is in need. But he says, no, not that I'm in need, because I've learned the secret. And the secret that he's learning is I live on whatever God provides. And whatever God has given to me, I'm going to take that and say, then this is what I should have. This is what God wants. And so as you look at this secret, it's what he is able to do. Therefore, he comes up with, I am content. Because I know and I'm going to trust that God is going to give to me what I need. And because God gives to me what I need, I am able to be content and I'm able to live with it because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He is the one who gives me the power. He is the one who gives me the ability to overcome my own want. And that is a really powerful thing when you think about it. It's amazing that he's able to do that. One more passage as he finishes this chapter. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. I don't know that we want to trade places with Paul or that we want Paul's life. But we do want Paul's peace. And the way that he's able to approach life, he says, I've received full payment. Your gift is so generous. What a great thing. Don't you love that when you've been able to get a gift for someone and they just really like it. They really enjoy it and they're so thankful for it. Christmas is coming. I hate to get a gift for somebody and they go, oh, I wanted the better one. Like, well, thanks. (laughs) Next time I won't get you one. (laughs) It's always so great when we're able to rejoice. My God will supply every need of yours according to his glorious riches. Does that sound like a promise that would take away some anxiety? No, it doesn't mean you don't have to work. It doesn't mean you don't have to try. He just means it's going to work. That we're going to live on what God gives. 
and that we're going to be happy with what God gives and that we're going to be able to take this and rejoice. And we're not going to have any anxiety about danger because we're going to try and stay safe and we're not going to have any anxiety about money because we're going to live on what we have. And we're not going to have any anxiety about salvation because we know God forgives. We know Jesus died on a cross. We know that we have chosen him And we have been buried with him in baptism. We have believed in him. We worship him. We follow him. We do all of those things that will take away any anxiety because we put our care on him. And he is the one who responds. He is the one who answers. Cure for anxiety comes back to the first thing we said. Context is, what do you choose? You can give control of your life to God, and He will take care of so many things. Or you can try and do it yourself. That is an anxiety-producing event. So if you have not given control of your life to God, let me encourage you to repent of your sins, be baptized into Christ, accept His promises, and by all means, learn how to do some of the rest of this. Learn how to rejoice. Learn how to pray to God. Learn how to be able to trust in Him. If we can help you do that, we want to do that.